created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week, it is my honor to bring to you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Shows are replayed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and share on your favorite podcast app. Um, Essential aspects of a veteran-friendly campus include mental health and disability services that are not only offered to students, but meet students where they are. Uh, The challenge may be getting veterans to use these services. So framing mental health and disability services in ways that will encourage students to utilize these opportunities on campus will not only benefit veterans, but also other student populations. So this is our second of our three show series on veteran-friendly campuses. My co-host is Dr. David Bakke, who uh, is on the call right now and on the show right now. And we will hopefully be joined by Dr. Janine Wirt. Uh, She is from the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. She's having some connectivity issues, but we're hopefully to get this going and uh, get her in here to talk about veteran-friendly campuses. And so uh, we have, uh, David, why don't you say hi and uh, tell folks why we're late getting the show started. (laughs) Hi, everybody. So in order to join the green room, you have to be made an important part of the show. And um, when I was trying to do it on my personal computer as well, um, I was trying to exit out of the phone version of it, which it would not do. And so I started clicking buttons and it said, um, end the show, and I was like, "Yeah, there's no way this would actually end the show." So we hit the end the show button. It filled the whole show, so that Laura had to start a whole new show for 1:19 p.m. So that's my fault. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. So we're all good, and hopefully Janine will get in. Where she's having some uh, tech tech re- realities here, so hopefully she'll get in. Um, uh, cause we had a really nice conversation earlier this week as we were prepping for the show. So, uh, hopefully, uh, she'll get there and, uh, we, uh, will, uh, get her input. Uh, today we're really concentrating, as I said, in the introduction on this idea of how to help, uh, veteran students with mental health and with disability services. And, um, you know, David, when we were discussing this uh, set of shows overall, uh, you felt really strongly about this particular show topic. Um, and we know that students in general, um, you know, I think because of the pandemic, and I think that, uh, you know, we've heard about this time and time again, that the pandemic raised awareness about the importance of mental health. Um, and so I, I do believe that that's the case. But I think there's still a, a component of our student population that is maybe hesitant about using uh, health, uh, using mental health services, um, and even more so disability services. Uh, folks who might have a temporary disability or a disability that they acquired over time, uh, it does uh, create this uh, issue for our students who are not actually using the using the the services on campus. 
And so um, in the case of veterans, uh, the need to utilize mental health and disability takes on a whole new meaning because they have uh, acquired, let's just say, had these lived experiences that may have uh, impacted how they see their lives, how they see themselves. Um, and so talk to us about uh, really why you feel that this uh, is not only important uh, differentiating this opportunity for veterans, but what can this uh, increasing and improving our services do for all of our students? Yeah, and so as you point out, you know, veterans aren't the only ones that need disability services or mental health services. I mean, this this has interestingly been an increasing need among students for the last three or four years. And uh, I think it comes back to the whole thing of, matter of fact, uh, I can give you an anecdote just from this morning here at the Naval War College, uh, what we were talking about. Um, we don't have, in the classic sense, student advising. Um, many times, I'm sure the, the history goes something like, well, these are mid-grade to senior level officers, so they don't really need any advising, it's fine. Um, well, it's not fine, because uh, we have uh, students who struggle. And uh, it gets right back to what I've always said, and that is, is that veterans in higher education tend not to seek for help until we teach them, train them, coach them to do so because it is, they, are, they learned that they are supposed to not be the weak link. Uh, and if they are the weak link, they shouldn't be identified as the weak link. And so to, the one way to do that is to not seek help. Um, and the same thing we have, uh, the Admiral was just talking this morning about how um, we have a, a whole series of students who get to the end of the grading period or whatever it is, and they are in crisis meltdown because their grades are not what they thought they were going to be here at the Naval War College. Because, and, and it gets back to they didn't ask for help. They know about all the help services, which are largely academic, but they just didn't use the help services. and getting into the student advising and that's going to get back into the same thing that we need to do on on regular college campuses and that is create that awareness and and just market the whole notion that it's it's normal and acceptable to ask for help and and, and uh janine made she'll be on in a minute i'm sure she'll reboot and she'll get figured out but um she made a great point the other day is that um you know if you need help you have to ask for help and um but they have to learn that right right Right. Um, you know, David, one of the things that you disclosed is that, you know, when you come out of active duty, there's an evaluation of some kind. And so uh, I don't know if a lot of practitioners understand that and what that actually looks like. And that, you know, that our, our veteran students, when they uh, have this evaluation, may be provided with some feedback from uh, the evaluation that says they have a disability that they never thought they had before. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience is like and and what is, you know, I, I think for some people they had no idea this is even happening. So what does that look like and how is that information conveyed to the veteran? Right. So it's not a perfect process. The way that process starts is when you're beginning your process to separate from the military, it's incumbent upon the service member to identify those kinds of things and concerns. You know, I've sprained ankles or I used I had a shoulder surgery, whatever it is. Um, I got blown up in the war, whatever it was to identify those. And then those specific things are evaluated by it's sort of a transitional set of doctors that are really employed by the VA. They're not really part of the Department of Defense. And so you begin that process. And of course, here again, we're 
failing right off of Jump Street because people are like, well, I'm fine, right? And, and so they don't do it. And then these are the body of people who then realize two years later when they're struggling with their college or they're out in, in the work world struggling with something like, maybe I should have done that disability thing. And then they try to start the disability thing and it takes forever. So for any veterans who are listening, anybody who is especially in touch with active duty people, you have to, have to, have to, have to get this started while you're currently serving on active duty. It will happen fast if you do that. If you wait, sure, you're entitled to services, but it, for whatever reason, it takes forever if you wait. And so you will go through and so um, they allow you to list like 10 things. I listed 10 things, some stuff that I wasn't even sure that I needed, but um, they, they'll check out any of your surgeries or injuries or whatever it is. Nowadays, there's screenings for, um, for Gulf War syndrome and post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. They kind of do all of those kinds of things. And they'll even do that when you begin getting your services from the VA. But then they'll go through and they'll give you a rating on those. And the official policy is each rating does not get you 10%, but the math works out to that. So, you know, for those who are not, you know, VA professionals or whatever, just you know, if you have six things, it's probably going to be 60% of, you know, disability. And, um, and then there are various thresholds of how that can be service beneficial and financially beneficial to the separating veterans at the, at the 30% mark and the 50% mark. And so, you know, putting down all of the things that you're concerned about um, is, is a worthwhile endeavor. Um, I've, got, I've gone through a whole bunch of that. I had a shoulder surgery. Um, and then I was starting to manifest in the other shoulder in the same way about four years later while I was retired. And I, I submitted a thing and I said, I think this shoulder is doing the same thing that this shoulder was doing. And they were like, yep, sure is. And, you know, they gave me another 10%. Um, you know, it's not like I'm seeking to like work the system. It's like, right. that's what the system is designed to do. Again, you're not taking advantage of the system. The system is there to compensate you for damage that the government did to you while you were in service. Right. Well, there's, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's two pieces here. And, and in the prep conversation with Janine, we did talk about this idea of cultural competency, especially as it relates to counseling centers and making sure counselors uh, actually can see veterans in a specific lens and understand uh, what that looks like. And I think disability services needs that as well, because, you know, when you, if we can break this down, if you're supervising or you're working with a disability services office, um, you know, there's always that element within the disability or accessibility services area where you're trying to work with the student about becoming a self-advocate, being able to speak for themselves, being able to kind of say, okay, well, you know, I've, we've all had students who fall into this category that maybe in their introductory courses at the institution, they need, they need more time on tests or they need distraction reduction testing. But then once they get into their major and the actual courses that are really kind of juicing them up, that they don't feel like they need it as much anymore or the type of work they're doing is different. And so, you know, they don't need distraction reduction. They actually need something else. Um, that's one side of it. Okay. Oh, and Janine just joined us. Okay. So I'm inviting her up and Janine, I'm inviting you to video. So hopefully this works. Um, and, uh, you know, the other side of disability services is that, 
you actually have uh, folks who need to, um, you know, keep track of what we are providing. So it's that compliance side, okay? And some folks in uh, those offices are very narrowly focused on the compliance and not necessarily looking at the, the full picture of the student. I think a lot of disability services folks do both things very well, but you are when you're when you are getting literally dumped on at the start of the academic year, or the start of the semester, and you have this amount of rig wiggle room in terms of getting people the accommodations they need, building that cultural competency about speaking to a veteran student in a way that is, all right, I understand that you have this experience with your um, you know, with your veteran, act, with your active duty. I understand that they have provided you with this paperwork that indicates X, Y, Z. That is a different conversation than what you would have with a student who has been managing a disability since they were born and they are coming into school. And so I, I think from a, if I'm looking at it from a vice presidential lens, okay, as someone who has been a vice president on a campus, knowing that cultural competency matters so much in terms of providing these students with the type of actual access uh, that they need, we need to pull aside counseling center and the disability services office to say, we're gonna do a cultural competency deep dive on what veterans uh, need and what are some of the things we need to be asking so that when we are working with these students, we are providing them with uh, an entree into our services that actually meets them where they're at. Am I going too far in this, David? What are your thoughts? No, I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's straightforward. And again, this is another one of those great examples of where veterans aren't unique in this situation. They might be a little, the problem might be a little more exacerbated for veterans, but um, non-veterans have uh, the problem of using these services as well. And, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things can be, you know, well, you know, my disability rating is a secret or whatever. And why would I tell the disability services office? And, and they don't get it. And it was the analogy that um, I know Janine is dying to get up on stage. Why is she not getting up on stage? Because I, I, <laughs> I want her to give her glasses analogy. But, um, but it's like, you know, you have... Um, it's leveling the playing field, right? It's, right. it's, it's, you know, there, and people don't know, right? Cause this does not exist. Like, like you said, lifetime, basically at all stages of education, you know, the 18 year old coming to college has been getting accommodation for whatever since they've ever started school. Well, that's not the experience for veterans. The experience for veterans are we shame you for going to sick call and saying my ankle hurts today, um, you know, and, and then we shame you for going to get your ankle looked at instead of doing physical fitness in the morning and further injuring your ankle, right? And then we shame you because you can't play the group combat, you know, softball game or whatever it is we play in the afternoon, right? And and and, and so we just avoid it. And so, um, you know, and there's no, there's nothing. So in the military, of course, it's, I mean, to some degree, it's dog eat dog, right? I mean, the, the strongest or the best performing or the best evaluated survive and move up. And those who are constantly seeking help are, you know, are not rewarded. And so, um, 
but there's no there's no leveling of the playing field um, in the military for that because there's no room at the top for the vast number of people who are qualified for the next level of pro- promotion. So they don't have to, um, and, you know, and that's that's why, you know, uh, you see who you see all the time as the senior leaders of the military, because not only are they super smart and they can remember things like a photographic memory, but they're in great physical condition. You know, they look like they're wiry James Bond types and all that kind of stuff. And um, because you can select from that and that's what it gets down to at the end. And so this idea that um, somebody is willing to level the playing field for us, they're like, well, the playing field has been slanted against me all the time and I just walk uphill, right? That's that's a, a veteran's mentality, but um, I, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll tell it for Janine because it's germane right now. For, for those who are willing to give an analogy to their veterans, it's like me. I have glasses, right? And the analogy that Janine used, okay, I'm looking at my computer screen right here. There's a little a little symbol of the Naval War Colleges here. Okay, take off your glasses. Tell me what the symbol says. I can barely see the circle, never mind the letters that are on the circle, right? And they're like, oh, well, how come you can't see it? Well, because I'm not using my glasses. Really? The other guy's not using his glasses. Well, he doesn't need those. Aha! I need them. It's leveling the playing field. Now I can read the United States Naval War College. Um, Right. And that's that's the analogy. It's leveling the play. It's nothing more than that. So if you need extra time, I don't even know what all of the benefits are. There's, you know, hearing assistance, quiet rooms. There's, um, you know, all of those kinds of things where the, the, the playing field, if you will, for education can be leveled. Um, to, to include what you do, um, you know, when we get our culturally competent um, faculty out there, it's like Joe Veteran wants to sit in the far back corner of the classroom because they can see everything and feel safe. Most veterans don't need that, but some who, you know, probably are still working their way back from coming back from a deployment might feel more comfortable and secure doing that. Okay, what's the big deal? There's 30 seats in the classroom. Let them sit in the back corner, um, right? So all of those kinds of accommodations make all kinds of sense. But veterans are just not used to the playing field being leveled for them. And so any analogy we can use is very helpful. Well, and I think that when you actually look at the opportunities here, uh, we there's also an opportunity for anyone who's doing veteran services on a campus to actually ask people to, or ask the students to say, hey, you know what, I know you're new here. I know these are the things. It's not just about saying these are the services that are provided to you. It's also about saying these are the services that would be of benefit to you and let me explain why. And calling it out, you know, and because you speak the veteran terminology that might be a better situation than maybe uh, just saying a generic, you need to go to these offices. Um, This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is our second in our three-part series on veteran-friendly campuses. My co-host is Dr. David Bakke from the Naval War College. Um, We also uh, have, hopefully, Janine, she's in the audience and for some reason is not able to come up on stage Um, And so for those of you who are here and you want to request to speak, uh, you can go to uh, the hamburger. uh, If you're on the app, Um, there is a way to go on the app and click on the hamburger and request uh, to come up on stage. Uh, You can also go to the Q&A and post a question in the Q&A. 
Um, and the hamburger is in the lower left-hand corner of your uh, app screen. If you are streaming on the uh, – oh, and there is Janine. She made it up on stage. Excellent. Uh, so how are you, Janine, now that you're really frustrated? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's it's going to be okay. okay. Uh, I am uh, in the process of, of getting my camera on. So Okay, excellent. All right. So we've got Janine, and there she is. Oh, my God. Hello, Welcome I'm so sorry. the great state of New Hampshire. Oh so thank you for being here. Um, and so if you have a question for the panel, please feel free to request to come up on stage or put it in the Q&A box. Um, I do want to take a minute to introduce Janine now that she's in. This gives her a chance to take a breath. Yes. and um, have a sip of water. Dr. Janine Wirt is a uh, licensed social worker and serves as the Director of Military and Veterans Services at the University of Massachusetts at Lowell. Uh, she designed and implemented the Military and Veterans Services program there, increasing military member uh, and student veteran enrollment significantly over the last seven years with the support of the administration, faculty and staff and students. Um, prior to her appointment at UMass Lowell, Janine served as a readjustment counselor and family therapist at the Lowell Vet Center and the program manager and case manager at the Manchester VA Medical Center in Manchester, New Hampshire. She founded and implemented the first Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom program at the Dayton VA Medical Center in Dayton, Ohio. And Janine has clinical experience in post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, suicide prevention. Uh, Janine has served as the secretary and secretary-elect, as well as the vice president-elect, and is currently serving as the president-elect of CCME. She can explain what that means in a second. And her passion is improving the quality of life for military veterans, um, military families, and military members. Welcome, Janine, and thank you for your perseverance and hard work in getting to us. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. That What should have been easy, uh, I made very difficult, so I appreciate your assistance. <laughs> no problem. Uh, Janine, tell us a little bit about the, the uh, veterans program at UMass Lowell. Uh, how many students do you serve? What does it look like? And I know that in your bio, uh, there was information there about how it's grown over time. Um, so tell us a little bit about what it looked like when you got there and, and now what does it look like in terms of the size of the program? Um, UMass Law has really um, supported their student veterans on campus. When I began the program uh, 11 years ago, we had about 500 student veterans. They were served by a part-time um, certifying official in the registrar's office. Um, so there's really no official programming. Um, we've grown that uh, that number through word of mouth only. Um, that's veteran to veteran and family member to family member um, to over 1,450 uh, student veterans. Um, we have about uh, three to 400 family members that also attend. We have a large contingent of National Guard and reservists that are citizen soldiers that are also attending um, UMass Law. And so um, we've built a holistic program that supports student veterans throughout their college career and beyond that um, to enhance their ability to be successful and to remove obstacles to that success. That's great. Um, and 
you've said that, you know, the, the, in your introduction, um, and you said this in our, our conversation the other day, the, it seems that the administration and the faculty at UMass Lowell have a very strong understanding of the value of the veteran student um, uh, experience, as well as this uh, reservist uh, student experience. And you're quite proud of the fact that they have started uh, one of the most progressive uh, programs for these students who may need to take a stop out or move on uh, and do some specific work as reservists. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Because I think that actually is really important for us to understand is that when the faculty and the administration are so focused and understanding in terms of developing their own competency of what it looks like to be a veteran or a uh, reservist um, and how that actually enhances the student experience. So talk a little bit about what has happened right. in terms of that program. Um, our citizen soldier students who are reservists and uh, National Guard members um, really uh, had challenges, especially during COVID when Massachusetts was using our um, National Guard members in many different capacities. Um, a lot of our students were activated onto orders, full-time active duty orders to assist at hospitals, um, schools, um, throughout the, the state. And then um, they, they were sent to Washington, DC and uh, are continuing to be activated and, and they serve all over the world actually. And so what we found was that some of those students um, weren't sure of how they could continue their educational uh, career and also you know, serve in uniform. So we felt a policy was really useful in giving them options and making it uniform across the institution of how we deal with students in these situations. Um, so our faculty senate was amazingly helpful um, and, and actually made the policy that was originally proposed even more um, progressive and um, and liberal and and they did that because when a student is that serving in uniform um, is activated, they don't know how long those orders may be for two weeks. They may be extended, um, and they could be extended multiple times. So um, what the student thinks initially might be a time period that they would be able to juggle everything turns out to be uh, a less possible task. Um, as that time gets longer. And so UMass Lowell Senate, Senate Faculty Senate um, voted and approved a very liberal um, policy that impacts um, short-term activations, long-term activa activations and deployments, and um, permanent change of stations, PCSs, for both um, uniformed folks and for their family members that are dependents or spouses. So what really impresses me about that is that that says to the student that you are seen and you are valued and that we understand the nuance of your experience. Exactly. So These are mostly non-traditional students. And, and one of the things that you, that we had discussed earlier is that traditional students, um, rarely have to navigate 
the bureaucracies and systems that our military connected students, veterans and citizen soldiers have to. And, and for, for these students, they can, they, they may need to um, navigate up to eight different systems um, from VA medical care to VA compensation and pension to uh, VR&E, which is uh, veteran readiness and employment, the former voc rehab program. Um, they, they might have to navigate their family systems, um, their work, where they're working, either part-time or full-time, um, their benefits. It's a very uh, difficult, cumbersome, and a challenging process for students to have to navigate in order to even just set foot into the classroom. And so what I like to tell our students is we help them overcome those obstacles so that their full focus or as much focus as possible is really focused on their personal, academic and professional success. I I love what you've done here, because what you've really talked about is a wraparound program, holistic Mm -hmm. program for veterans, and it makes them feel uh, that they are a priority and that the, these uh, military uh, students are part of a specific part of the community and the institution values them. Um, I think that there's also an opportunity here to go back to our conversation prior to your jumping on, and I know you were listening a little bit, yes, right? As, no worries, as you were trying <laughs> to get in, is that there is this, um, this cultural competency that needs to be heightened. Uh, And we talked a little bit, uh, David and I, before you came in about how this might look for our disability services folks. Um, But talk to us about the counseling folk um, and how, uh, how, because you're a licensed social worker, so you have a mental health background. Um, And so talk to us about what that might look like. What are some nuances there? And if you were to uh, design a cultural competency program for a counseling center uh, staff, especially as it relates to these students, what what would be some some things that that are resources to institutions to pull from uh, that can even get the ball rolling? Well, I I think that specific training regarding um, military cultural competency is really, really important. Um, knowing and understanding that uh, being in uniform and serving in uniform for our citizen soldiers is not like working at Bank of America um, or any other corporate um, entity. Um, It is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week engagement, whether you are a reservist or a National Guard member or you're active duty. Um, At any moment, you can be activated and, you know, during COVID that happened, <laughs> um, but it can happen at any time. Um, our, our National Guard members serve at um, the request of either the governor or the president, and those orders can be um, uh, instituted at any time. Mm. So understanding that this is not... Um, a situation where you can call in sick <laughs> and not attend. Um, right. That's actually, David will tell you, that's actually called AWOL. And um, it is um, it is a legal issue in the military. And um, you will be prosecuted legally uh, for not showing up for work. 
Um, this, this wraps back into the idea that it's countercultural to ask for help. It's also countercultural to, um, to endorse that you have a disability or even that you're willing to go talk to a mental health professional. Mm. Um, and so culturally, the military community, um, and there is a lot being done within the Department of Defense right now to offset this and correct this. Um, and um, kudos to the Department of Defense for really um, putting resources towards this and, um, and highlighting it. Um, top level leaders are talking about their own mental health issues, their own struggles with uh, PTS and how treatment and getting help and talking to professionals really changed their lives. Um, and I think that that's really helpful to removing some of the stigma for junior enlisted and uh, even even officers that are serving and are struggling with these mental health issues. You know, we were at war for over 20 years and um, that impacts um, family members. It in fact impacts the service member. It impacts um, veterans after they transition out. And, you know, depending on the level of support that they have, um, Resources are really important. UMass Lowell happens to be really, um, really fortunate to have five major VA medical centers within 50 miles of the campus. Um, I don't know of very many other higher education institutions that um, has that wealth of um, of support. You know, many of our for that matter. I mean, yeah. there's people who literally have to drive you know, a, a, Hours. Day, a, a yeah. day away to get to a VA medical center. So yeah, absolutely. Right. The, you know, I, what you were saying earlier about this idea of when you are on active duty and uh, you are uh, uh, placed into a space for however long the, the, right. the, the tour is, okay? I had a student, I, I, it brought me back to a student I had uh, a while, probably about a decade ago, who he had to take a leave of absence. He went uh, overseas. When he came back, um, one of the things he could not get kind of settled in is that he wasn't on all the time. Right. And right. he literally needed a job on campus in order to feel like he was of value to the campus. Like mm -hmm. he came to, to my office and was like, look, I will do anything. I need, I need to yeah. be doing something right. Um, because right now I feel like I am a burden because I am only going to class or I am only doing these things. And so, you know, it was interesting to have that conversation with him because he was like, I just, I was on for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I could not, you know, take a breath. And now that is not how my life is. And I need to kind of move my way back into a controlled environment uh, that I'm in control of. Maybe not that uh, the, the military is in control of right. me. Um, right. and, and I think that's an important understanding for folks. And it goes to even what we were talking about in the first show, David, is that we know that these veteran students, we know that these students uh, have uh, a higher propensity for success in terms mm -hmm. of finishing their academics. Um, right. They're highly motivated. 
Um, but that with that high motivation also comes this like, I mean, I'm going to call it attention of, okay, am, am I doing enough? Am I getting enough done? Um, and we can actually heighten our students' um, kind of feeling of value to the institution by acknowledging the fact that they like to they like to have some control of their time that goes beyond just what they've been assigned in class. Am I am I going in the wrong direction here, or is this about right? And I think what's uh, instructive there is again, it's not all right. Sometimes, like, well, veterans have disabilities. Well, some veterans have disabilities, right? So not all veterans fit into the category I'm about to describe, but some veterans because of their background and again the aversion to weak link stuff come into higher education and think it's their job to be superheroes right i need to score a hundred on everything mm -hmm. nobody does that right yeah. um it's not reality right and so it, it fits in with the same kind of you know flawed thinking of well i I'm, I'm missing half my leg but i don't need disability services really i mean I mean, I'm hard of hearing and I go to disability services, right? And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's so those kinds of things. And some of it, again, we talk about what I've always conceptualized higher education as a protracted transition to civilian life. And one of the things they have to learn is superhero is not required. Um, help is okay, right? Taking advantage of all the services for which you're eligible, you know, is is all right, all that kind of stuff. Getting a B on an assignment is okay, right? These kinds of normal things, right? Mental health services are normal to go to. Um, academic, uh, you know, office hours for the faculty, the academic support center, these are normal places to go to to get help. Um, you're, you're not weak if you go do that. Um, and, and of course, as soon as they start to hear that kind of thing, Janine will tell you she sees these students every day. These are like A minus A students and they're like, well, if I want to be a superhero, I'll take my A minus and I'll go to office hours and do all this other stuff right. and I'll still achieve superhero thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's OK because anybody can use academic help services. Right. 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 And, wow. and I want, you know, there is an element here that it, it, uh, that I love what you brought up when we first started discussing this particular show, Janine, is about this cult cultural competency. We talk right. about cultural competency when it comes to serving our international students, serving our right. BIPOC student, our first generation students. Why are we not having more uh, intentional conversations about what does cultural competency about working with veterans look like um, and these veteran student families? So I think it's super, super important um, as we're considering what what it is and, and knowing who our communities are, who right. are the students are that we serve on a regular basis um, and really taking a, a deep dive into what they look like. Um, right. We are here with uh, Dr. David Vaki and, uh, you know, and uh, he is my co-host uh, for this uh, three-part series. And uh, Dr. Janine Wirt, uh, who is here talking and, and lending her expertise on uh, the areas around mental health and uh, disability services for uh, our veteran students. Uh, and so next, next week uh, on Friday at uh, 12 o'clock, 
we will be back with our third show. We're really talking about uh, employment and getting our veteran students out there into the workforce. Um, veterans who earn a college degree have the added benefit of possessing transferable skills that they have acquired from active duty, including leadership, problem solving, teamwork, and the ability to communicate and see a task through to completion. These are skills that are being sought after by employers, but veterans may not have the mindset to see that their active duty experience and their degree can combine uh, to great opportunities. And that will be our conversation next week. Um, and so I hope you're able to join us for that. Uh, Janine, I, I wanna circle back to something that uh, you have an expertise in. And, and you know, we always talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. uh, in terms of what, uh, you know, I, I love that someone added the internet as the bottom level of uh, Maslow's hierarchy. But when you're looking at uh, kind of this, this progression of what is uh what does it look like in terms of creating an environment that uh lends right. itself to uh veteran student success uh you've written about this it's part of david's book uh and i i want to see if you can kind of walk us through verbally what does that look like and what has your research shown in terms of what what are these uh elements because this does have a direct impact on that mental health and accessibility services or disability services absolutely so um i developed a model uh based on uh my experience and then research with my students that um that there are similar um hierarchic hierarchical needs um, of student veterans as they transition from the military to academic life. Um, if you look at traditional um, military life and um, the American culture, World War II, they were very parallel. And then they started to diverge during Vietnam era. era. Um, now they're 180 degrees. Mm -hmm. And um, from military culture to general American culture. Yep. Uh, and so this transition is really important. And so what we found was that our students' most important foundational need initially was uh, financial stability. This, this enables them to feel safe. They, uh, they are food secure, they're housing secure, and um, they're using their benefits to the best of their ability. Um, then we found that mental health and physical health was really, really important and making sure that they were following up on their appointments, that they were getting the care that they needed. Um, third, we found that social support, which includes this um, finding a community and, and in higher ed, it's this community of other veterans that have this shared experience of leaving the military and coming to academia. Um, and then uh, academic success, it seems like it's so far up the, up the ladder, but um, academic success is critical, but these other foundational needs uh, provides the ability for student veterans to really excel. Mm -hmm. And then finally, um, an education is not very worthwhile, worthwhile unless it contributes to uh, professional and career success. Um, and, you know, just as our World War II veterans did, um, our current generation of student veterans, um, you know, have the ability to impact generations of their families' quality of life. A, yes. a degree for a veteran doesn't just 
impact that single veteran. And this is true for all of our students that we serve, whether they're international students or first generation students or non-traditional students. Um, you know, a degree impacts generations of that person's family and really changes the trajectory of that family going forward. Um, you know, our country has been built on this. Um, and time and time again, it's been proven that, um, you know, a college degree is meaningful when it leads to uh, career employment and success. Um, so having that, that hierarchy and that model, uh, when you have, I initially in, intentionally chose to develop a community of veterans before I addressed any of the rest of it. And, and part of that is um, uh, Dr. Joyner's uh, model of uh, suicide, mm. which, which has three different components. One is that I'm a burden. Mm. The other one is that you have access to a way to um, uh, pursue suicide. And, mm. and then this, this, lack, this lack of support. And so we really worked hard to build that support. I found then that my students were leaving school and not returning because of financial yeah. um, distress. I had a student come in, engineering student, um, his last semester of college, told me he was going to have to drop out. His, his spouse had been um, laid off of her job. And um, he said, I'm going to have to go find a job, any job. And uh, we were able to find a scholarship for him. And then we developed our own in-house veteran scholarship, which we continue to today. Um, the, the need for mental health and physical um, treatment of injuries related to your military service is absolutely critical. Um, and, you know, if, if you're in pain while you're sitting in, in physics class, um, chances are the amount of information you're absorbing is not very high. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, this is the way the model uh, began. Um, oh, David there you go. The picture. <laughs> we've added, um, we've added a growth mindset and mental mm -hmm. toughness um, over the, over the years, because, you know, attitude is everything. If you walk in with the decision that this is going to be artificially hard and you're going to fail. Um, you're, you're really swimming upstream yeah. towards success. Um, if you walk in with that growth mindset and this comes from special operators, um, they, their whole entire training programs are built on mental toughness and um, Dr. Carol Dweck's um, uh, growth mindset. So those are critical. Um, and, and this, the social support part isn't just veterans. It's, it's that student's family. Right. It's the people that they interact with on a daily basis. If, if they're full-time employed, it's their employer's attitude towards accommodating um, education. So um, we found that this model actually uh, propelled us. And when I say propelled, I mean it really made a difference. Um, to developing a wraparound holistic program that supports all areas and aspects of a student veteran's life. 
and more details on that are available in Straight Talk for Veterans. And uh, I would encourage you, if you are an institution, here we go, if you're an institution looking to uh, uh, to take a real look at your uh, veteran student uh, services, uh, start with that book. Um, and uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you buy books. Uh, and I highly recommend it. And it gets you uh, a, an understanding of what it means to actually provide those different levels of support, finance, mental health, social support, academic success, contribution to career and success, and that growth mindset and mental toughness. Those are all important aspects. Right. And if you're only doing the administrative support of a veteran student, that's not enough. That's, I mean, right. that is that is literally not even the tip of the iceberg, especially going back with what Janine said earlier, where students may be juggling eight different avenues of bureaucracy to make their way through the institution. That is, I mean, I, I will tell you, I can barely rent a car and that's one piece of bureaucracy. Forget, you know, being able to juggle eight yeah. pieces of bureaucracy to get through a four-year degree. Um, and so it is super important that we take a look at that. And I would highly recommend uh, that book. Um, we are coming up at the end of our show, but I wanted to give both uh, David and uh, Janine an opportunity to send us out with some final thoughts on, you know, you're almost like your gut check. If your campus isn't doing this, that should be your number one thing. Um, so I want you to think about that um, as I tease out the next week's program. Again, we are going to be here uh, a week from today, which is Friday the 31st, the last day of the month. Um, and uh, we will be here again at 12 o'clock and it'll be me and David uh, talking about making sure that we are getting our veterans into the workforce. Um, there are lots of jobs out there, folks, and our veterans can be uh, extraordinarily successful in the workforce in a variety of ways. So we're going to be talking about that um, in more detail. Um, and so uh, I'm going to start with David, and then I'm going to let Janine be our last word. Uh, so David, gut check. What should campuses be focusing on right now? What would be your number one priority for them to assess their readiness for this okay. uh, mental health and disability services? Be because you served it up as a softball a second ago, I'll tell you what we should not be doing per se. <laughs> um, so, so many places think they're veteran friendly because they have a barbecue or a Veterans Day ceremony. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. They literally will not move the needle in any meaningful direction to help your veterans succeed. I'd rather not see that stuff. And I'd rather see information getting into the hands and minds of our veterans that is normalized that they can use to take advantage of all of the health services. You might not need disability services. Okay. You might need a moment at mental health services for whatever reason, military related or school related. Um, but I, I think that if you really want to do, I mean, I would go with a part B and then Janine will come in with like 19 ones that I haven't thought of. But the part B of that would be you have to create that environment through faculty and staff training, right? Veterans are special, but they're not that special, right? There's a lot of special populations. Everybody's important in higher education, but you can't be completely clueless about the way veterans have come through their military training and experiences and now they're at college it's a little bit different than all of our other different people on college campus so that that would be like a part a and a part b and a what not to do all right 
And Janine, go ahead. So there's a military expression. It's called foot stomping. And yeah. um, I'm going to foot stomp with what Dr. Rocky just said. Uh, foot stomping is when you emphasize and restate. So uh, the, the, the impact of faculty and staff cultural competency cannot be overstated. And let me tell you a real quick story. It'll take 30 seconds. I had a faculty member call me and tell me that a student veteran was aggressive in their classroom and that, um, that they, they were concerned. And um, I asked more questions. It turned out that um, this student was loud, um, that he was very engaged in the classroom, but he was loud and he, he seemed like um, he was uh, intense. And um, so I said, I know, this, I know this student really well. I've never had that experience with them, but I'll bring him in and talk to them. We ended up in a very small room and he was talking exceedingly loud and I covered my mouth and I said something to him and he nearly panicked. Mm. Move your hand. I don't know what you just said. And I said, that is exactly why I did it. You have hearing loss and people are, are misunderstanding what's going on with you. And, and it happened to be a subject that he was very passionate about and really excited about learning about. But because he could not hear himself speak, he was speaking exceedingly loud. That gave us the opportunity to talk to the faculty member and do additional trainings with our student, with our uh, faculty and staff. That if there's somebody standing and they're talking exceedingly loud and they're a veteran, it may be that they have hearing loss and not whatever our regular American culture would call that. And so, um, again, like David. David said, it's really important for folks to understand what's going on and then to have somebody they can reach out to, to say, can you translate? Everybody's not going to know in everything, but, but to have a single person that they can reach out to and say, I'm having this issue. Can you help me with it? Can you help the student? Mm -hmm. And um, that makes all the difference in the world. Fantastic. We've done a lot of damage with stereotypes and one of the stereotypes is that, um, oh, you never know when a veteran could have PTSD or could go postal or whatever. Um, I, I'm sure there are a small handful of students that are at great risk for great harm to themselves or others in higher education. The statistical likelihood that any faculty or staff is ever exposed to a veteran who is truly a danger either to themselves or to anybody at the university is almost zero. If, if you are that bad, you have TBI so bad or PTSD so bad, you cannot function on the higher levels required for academic experience. So you will not be in college, right? You may have other stuff like you might be hard of hearing, but we really have done ourselves, our society a disservice by broadly generalizing any, anybody with a disability. And part of that could be too, why the veterans don't want to go to disability service. Well, now they're going to see me as disabled. Right. They already see you as disabled. Go get the help. But the point is, is that th this note, you know, the person who 
did not go through that faculty awareness training jumped to the conclusion that this guy was some sort of danger instead of doing the more reasonable thing of thinking about, hey, you're speaking awfully loudly. Is there something going on? I mean, he could have dealt with that on his own. That doesn't even require veteran competence. That just requires competence. (laughs) A sensitivity to human humanity, which is something we're sorely lacking in our day to day. Well, I want to thank David and I want to thank Janine for being here. Um, Janine, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can get in touch with me through my email, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Janine, J-A-N-I-N-E underscore W-E-R-T at UML.edu. Right. And David, uh, you will be back next week, and we are excited about that. Remember, uh, you can uh, pick up David's book, Straight Talk for Veterans, and read uh, Janine's chapter in there. Uh, It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. And uh, you have been listening to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We are here. It's a live audio broadcast aired and recorded weekly on the Fireside platform. I like David's fancy every time. (laughs) I am your host, Dr. Laura DeVoe, and I thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, What's Up in the Academy. It's the number one higher education newsletter on the Substack platform. And follow me here on Fireside, Twitter, LinkedIn, Post, whatever your social media area is, I, I'm on it. And so you can find my information in the contact information right now, scrolling across your screen or in your show notes. Uh, now, get on out there and learn every, learn something and have a great weekend, everyone. See you next week. Thank you, Dr. DeVoe. Thank you. Created live on Fireside.